There never seems to be a dull moment when it comes to Minnesota sports. Whether it's on the gridiron, the end zone is a Minnesota touchdown. On the court, title number four for the Minnesota Lynx dynasty. On the ice, with a shot, he scores. Or on the diamond, traffic, the plank, and the twins have just scored twice. There's always something to chat about. Whatever people think about that and however they value that, let it be. If you're looking for fun, informal discussion on all things Minnesota sports, you found it right here. Presenting. Minnesota Sports Chat. And now, your host, Ross Brendel. Well, turn that mic on first, and I'm also just going to point out that if I'm such a gopher football negative Nancy, if I can still use that term, would I really use P.J. Flack in the open to fire up the masses? That is for an audience of one. If you're listening, you know who you are, and if I've offended you, I am deeply sorry, and I look forward to being with the masses at Huntington Bank Stadium in less, well, roughly three months for the Gophers and New Mexico State. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But welcome inside the soon-to-be award-winning, award-winning, if only in my own mind, Minnesota Sports Chat. Daniel House from Gophers Guru joins me in mere moments. We'll actually talk Twins, Gophers, Vikings. I want to get into another topic with Daniel for a little house maintenance. But first, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed, download each podcast, and please make sure if you have yet to do so, please rate and review. I mentioned a few pods back, maybe the most recent pod. I'll dabble from time to time and look at what other podcasts that I would say are similar to mine and what they look like and what their ratings and reviews look like. And I must say, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I can tell you without a doubt, this podcast is well rated and reviewed when you view it in the prism of other Minnesota sports podcasts. So thank you so much for doing that. If you have yet to do so, please make sure you do that. And please make sure you tell your family and friends all about Minnesota Sports Chat. Simple and easy ways to spread the word about this podcast. Mr. Daniel House, how the heck are you doing, my man? It's good to see you. It's been a little while since we've talked. It's been a while. Lovely lull here where we can just study football for like two months, which I love. I, I dive into the trends and spent been studying Brandon Staley's defense a bit, so... It, it, this is this is the window where I can just soak it in a bit. Well, that's why I have you, so I don't have to go as deep into the film. That's that's why you're here for me. I'll be I'll be honest about that. You know me. I'll watch film and I'll go back and watch stuff, but it's not nearly to the level that you do, which is why I appreciate you and why people should head on over to GophersGuru.com. Com. Uh, Daniel, first off, uh, you need to tell me what's going on with uh, Minnesota football honors. I saw you were recently at TCO recording something for Bally mm-hmm. Sports North. You looked so professional. You always do. But what was that all about? What's what's going on there? What should people know about? Minnesota Football Honor Show will be airing in July sometime on Bally Sports North. So basically, the, the show will be recognizing all of the top players in Minnesota, the scholar athletes. So not just on the field, but off the field. And then also the, the top six players in Minnesota. High school football will be recognized. We're talking Gophers, Vikings. Uh, you'll get to see all those players in inter- interviews and 
everything that we gathered that day. And then I have a little segment in there talking about the state of football, basically at the high school, college and pro levels. So keep your eyes out for that uh, at the end of July. It's It's been a fun project. I've worked on it for a couple of years now. And it's just cool to be involved with the National Football Foundation at the national and local level, kind of tying in Minnesota football with, with the office in Atlanta. So a portion of this pod may hit uh, the social medias to promote it. And I am a little bit taken aback as we record this one. I don't see a bow tie. And you don't always have a bow tie on when we talk. More often than not, you do not. But what's really throwing me for a loop today is there are no glasses. What is no ha- glasses. What is happening here? It's sunglasses season. I, I got to hit the road today. So, you know, I don't want to be squinting on the road. Okay, fair point. Uh, We should point out to the masses, last year's Minnesota Sports Chat Open, a golf tournament of two, was on one of your home courses, and you, that was very Minnesotan the way I said that, home courses, was on your home course. I think there's one of two in the area, and you beat me pretty handily that day, probably by, I don't know, six, seven, or eight strokes. There is a date, I believe, on the books for, was it June or July? I can't remember. July. Early July is is the date that that's the target right now. Okay, that is the target date, and I look forward to returning to that same golf course. Not necessarily for the golf, but because I know there's another pizza joint in town you want to take me to, and I take my pizza very seriously. Yeah, they, they rebranded the pizza shop in town, so we'll we'll get your opinion on on how it how it is. It's pretty solid, and I've golfed a couple times at Rolling Oaks. I'm tuning up, getting ready. Uh, it's a great course, a little hidden gem, good value to play in, in northwest Wisconsin. You know, we were just talking before the pod. I'm big into the value plays across all spectrums of life, so I guess. Anytime I can golf at a decent price, especially 18 holes, I love it. Hopefully, I'll get out maybe this weekend for a quick nine. I have yet to get out, but that's that's not why the masses are here. The masses are here for me to talk Minnesota sports, not necessarily me, myself, and the guests. House, uh, what I love about you, uh, besides your deep dives into go for football, the NFL draft, the Vikings, and just your good-natured personality, is that you can talk all sports. We've done it before on this pod. It's one of the many reasons why I appreciate you. And yesterday, I'll, I'll be honest, yesterday the Minnesota Twins just really irked me. And I think when it comes to Major League Baseball angst and being upset, you do always have to check yourself a little bit because you play 162 games and you can't treat every game like it's an NFL game or a college football game. You just can't. So I, I fully understand that. But To me, what's been irking me, and I'll kind of lay out what's been bugging me here shortly, what's been bugging me is just generally an organization that preaches culture and process so often has, for lack of a better term in my mind, and again, I'm just a guy who hosts a podcast and has no job in professional sports. I get that. But the process just seems... So jacked up and not correct, and it often gets misconstrued in their message because they'll say one thing, they'll do another thing. And I'm going to I'm gonna kind of lay out three or four different things and how you can either respond to all of them or maybe just hop in as I take them one by one. Is, okay. is, is that fair? 
Yes, yes, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready to, to let you vent here. Okay, so what got me what got me yesterday, again, it's not necessarily the loss. A team like the Tigers, which is going to finish in fourth or fifth place, is going to win somewhere between 60 and 75 games, 65 and 75 games. It's going to happen. But you're playing a five-game series. You're playing four games in five days. Oftentimes, as we record this, it is the morning of May 31st. There's a doubleheader today. 70 plus percent of double headers are often split. So you're talking one team will win one game, one team will win the other. So let's just say that happens. You've now played three games with the Tigers and you've already lost two out of three. So the best you can hope for is three out of five. In my opinion, probably the most important game you're going to play in the entire series is the very first game. And we find out after the game that the Twins found out allegedly during the game that Carlos Correa tested positive for COVID, the coronavirus. Okay, whatever. But I do want to get that out there because I think it explains a little bit of what I was so upset about, but still not entirely. It kind of backs up my point. The Twins went into yesterday facing probably Detroit's second best pitcher. He has pretty good stuff, and he he pitched okay yesterday. He got beat a few times on some home run balls. Plus, I love the name Brisky. It's a great name. Probably because it reminds me of Lenny Briscoe from Law and Order. But you go into the game, and your two best hitters are not playing. And and, and Buxton is doing the, you know, they, they've kind of said it, the plans to play roughly 100 games. Okay, well, then we should just be DLing him at stints. Like, I think that, that, that even that's kind of stupid, but what's the point in playing a man down literally a third of the season? The Twins... <laughs> A team that's struggling, they're better than most, but a team that's not scoring runs like we're used to them scoring should not actively sit their two best players on the same day. Their two best hitters, the most important to the lineup, should not sit on the same day. And I never looked at anything on Twitter. I was convinced it was going to be the classic Rocco line that, well, uh, Buck got hit on the hand on Sunday and he woke up and it was a little sore on Monday. So we thought it was it was best to sit him. Well, that didn't even entirely end up being the case because they used him to pinch hit late in the game. So that's 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 my first thing. When Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton are both healthy, it is lineup malpractice to sit them both on the same day if they are available to you. Whether Buxton's in the outfield or DHing, he should be in the lineup. He can literally get on base every time he puts the ball in play, even though he just had like an over 30 or an over 31. Whatever. He was still kind of hitting the ball well. That's the first thing there. Do you want to weigh in there at all before I move on? I got about four things listed. I wanna I wanna I wanna just get out in the open. And I do want to acknowledge, yes, the twins are in first place. They're in first place. I think they're a playoff team. I've said that all along. I think they're gonna get there. I don't know if they're gonna win the division, but I do believe they're gonna make the playoffs. So it's not the house is not on fire. If anything, the house is in great shape. But instead of living in like a one-story rambler, they could be living in, in a in a four-four mansion right now. And they're not. They're actively making things more difficult on themselves. So that's kind of point one. Do you want to hop in here? Baseball's totally different than it was even like six or seven years ago. The, the uh, drives me crazy. The stars don't have that relentless mindset and that swagger, that different kind of mindset than than the players these days where they they have an opportunity to sit out a couple of days, come back, maybe not be in the lineup. Like you watch 
the the teams of the old days, even in the Guardy era, somebody's dinged up. They're doing everything they can to be in the lineup that day. And I just think that mindset has shifted across Major League Baseball. It's, it's a little bit worse with the Twins because I feel like Rocco definitely leans on the on the rest side of the coin. And that's something that I, I don't even think that's as big of the issue as it is sometimes with the in-game feel, the management of, you know, moving, turning the dial during the game. That's where I have a bigger issue with some of the, the decisions that are made. Okay, I'll, I'll, this will be like a kind of a follow-up point. I didn't have this listed because I didn't want to put 10 things down. Because, again, it's not it's not all negative. Uh, again, as we record this, they lead the division by four and a half games. Even if they have a bad week this week with the Tigers in Toronto, they'll still probably go into next week in first place. And for all I know, I'll look stupid that maybe they're about to win seven or eight in a row. But going back to Buxton and Correa yesterday, Garlic does not hit right-handers well at all. Well, he had to play yesterday, and he uh, and he's not a great defender. He immediately has a chance to catch a ball on the warning track. I mean, it would have been a great catch, but it goes off of his glove and bounces over the wall for a home run. He then follows that up by grounding into a double play. So it was a great day for Ryan Garlic yesterday, who should not have been in the lineup in that scenario, and all he did was hit into a double pl- double play ball early in the game, and probably cost you an out and a run defensively. I, we can go all day on the in-game stuff. I, we really yeah. can. I'm trying to focus on some more of the organizational problems. So here's the second one, and this one isn't necessarily on Rocco. Caveat here, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have done a lot of good things. They really have. This has become an organization that, for the most part, competes for the playoffs every year. Some of... Some of them not winning playoff games since they've been here is on them, but it's not entirely on them. Getting Joe Ryan was great. Giving up two months of Eddie Escobar, which turned in turned into uh, Duran Duran, as I like to call him. You know that that's great. Finding Celestino, pretty good player, and he's still developing. They've done really good things. One thing they really haven't done is find free agent starting pitching. And I know that's tough across the board, but these guys routinely light the firecracker and hold on to it in their hand. I mean, you go back to last year, Hap was awful, and then, of course, he goes to the Cardinals and miraculously pitches well for two months. Uh, Matt Shoemaker was embarrassingly bad. Okay, then this year, I love Sonny Gray. I applaud the trade for Sonny Gray. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sonny Gray has already spent a stint on the DL and he left Sunday's game because he was injured. And then it goes on and on this year at best. Dylan Bundy is meh. He's a starter. He is a starter, but he's meh at best. He's a fourth starter on his best day. He's a fifth starter every other day. Like he showed on Memorial day, Chris Paddock. They knew they were gambling a bit to get him. He gets here, chucks a few games and his arm falls off again. He won't pitch until probably mid season next year. And who knows how good he'll be at that point. And the one that is driving me up, and I'll use this word, and I don't think I'll have to mark this as um, explicit, the one that is driving me just damn crazy, and I, I, I seemingly love the guy. Every time he talks, they've interviewed him a few times. It's awesome. He has a great career in the broadcast booth. If you can't trust Chris Archer two months into the season to throw more than 60 pitches and be bothered oh. to go past the third or fourth inning in a game, 
What the hell are we doing here? But, but you're not <laughs> you're not doing him that's any favors. But hang on though. You're not doing your team any favors when you have to turn things over to something called Yenny or Cano in the bullpen who's pushing 30 and is awful. He's terrible. <laughs> he has an ERA, I think, of like 15 right now. He's terrible. He gets lit up every time he pitches. And dovetail into another point here, House. Rocco. Oh, it's so great. They extended they extended the roster limitations. We get to hold on to another pitcher. He'd have 25 pitchers if he could. He absolutely would have. And that's great, Rocco, if you have great pitchers. You don't. You, you, you don't. Half the guys you're throwing out there are not MLB arms. So quit throwing a stupid parade every time you get to keep more relievers that you're just going to send out there and are going to get shelled. And they're going to tell you it's the long play. I get it. But it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. House, this team could have a 7-10 to 10 game lead in the division right now if they treated these games in April and May with just a little bit more importance. And last time I checked, when you win a game on June 2nd, it means just as much as winning a game on September 10th. I totally agree that the whole the whole thing I have trouble with is the pitching where you hit like 75 pitches and all of a sudden if you're in the seventh inning and the player wraps up the the inning, they're coming out of the game. Like Smeltzer the other night was grooving. Perfect example of, of what's been going on. He's at 80 pitches through seven. Give him one more inning. And I can't tell you how many times I've said that this season. It's like, Rocco, come on, just just give this guy one more inning and an opportunity to continue pitching well because it's not like the player's running into a brick wall like they're they're struggling or something like that. It a lot of times they're grooving. You know that game the other night, there were some decisions with pinch hitting. I was like, what are they doing? Uh, it's just like pinch hit, pinch run. How long to leave uh, relievers in, uh, starters in? Uh, you know, it feels like maybe some of the relievers pitched to one too many batters. Like it's just that feel in the game and then trusting your pitchers, like you said, with, with Archer as well, you know, it, in the lineup too, like uh, Joe Smith to me should be pitching the seventh Emilio Pagan in the eighth and Duran in the ninth. Why is Duran not pitching the ninth inning? I mean, he blows everybody away. The gun is at a hundred every time. I just, I don't understand the mindset with the closer. I am an old school baseball mind. And like, you have to have a dynamic closer. Don't do the closer by committee baloney. You, you pick your closer and that guy is a dynamic pitcher that shuts the door. Yeah. I'm old school too. When it comes to the the closer pitching the ninth and here's why we've already seen it numerous times this year. And it, I think it's only burned the twins maybe once, but it, if you if you play with fire too much, you're going to get burned, and they'll probably get burned more by it as the season goes on. You know, new school philosophy, which I tend to agree with some days, not every day, yeah. but some days. You use your best reliever in the most important situation. Oftentimes, there are situations in the seventh and the eighth that may be more important than the ninth. But the issue has been when you bring in Pagan to pitch the ninth, the ninth is always an adventure because Pagan actually is pretty good stuff. He can't throw strikes to save his life, and that's what drives me crazy. So he's always putting people on base, and you don't get that with Duran, and you've had Pagan almost blow numerous games already. Okay, I have one one final take on the Twins, and then I do want to highlight a few positives, because overall this season's been very positive. I, I'm just, 
I'm trying to will them to be better. You know, Mackie and Judd always say, win one before I die. We should raise expectations for all teams in town. I guess a lot of that has seeped into me being back in the Hubbard building. The one that just, I actually believe that this is comical because I don't, I don't really know what to say about it. They have Royce Lewis up here, who immediately becomes one of their better hitters, taking great professional at-bats. Yeah. You know, does he need to work on things defensively? Sure. Everybody everybody does, especially at his age or experience-wise. Maybe not his age. He's a bit older now. But when it comes to experience, yeah, I'm sure there's things he can work on. But, of course, you know, the Twins send him down when Correa comes back and they make it out to be he has to learn to play these other positions without really saying it. That's what they say because they're going to move him around at CHS. You see him make great plays. It doesn't, it doesn't take a genius to realize he he knows how he can play these positions. Can he play them to an all-star level? Probably not. Can he play them good enough to justify keeping his bat in the lineup? Absolutely. But he has to go down to learn these things, okay? Because that's part of the process. Okay? If that's if that's part of the process, why do we have no problem putting a fish out of water, Jose Miranda, anywhere in the infield when he can't field any position? He's a third baseman. He's not great at it, but he's better. And he is awful at first base, yet we're okay with him butchering balls left and right and not sending him down to learn positions. He can stay up here and learn on the fly, but Royce Lewis has to go back down. Don't get it? Don't understand it. And, of course, it's about service time. This time they got bit. This time they got bit. They had to bring Lewis back up quicker than they wanted to, and at least they did that. But that process just makes me laugh. Don't preach... Don't preach one thing with Royce Lewis and then completely ignore it with Jose Miranda. Yeah, Ross. And and the other thing that I say is like, look at the stands for these games. You got to have your best players out there. If you want to put people in the seats, Royce Lewis, don't send them down. Like keep the excitement going with a star type of talent that everyone's excited about. Get that player on the field and keep him up. He can learn how to play. Uh, outfield by getting reps at the major league level. That's not a huge deal. And you watch some of these players at the twin, like you were talking about garlic. You can't tell me that just off sheer athletic ability, race Lewis can't step in and play the outfield at a high level. It's it's just like any player at any level that has to play multiple positions. You just, you, you, you learn how to do it on the fly and, and you help your team out. So I don't know why he had to go down. I believe, like you said, it was more of a service time thing, which which plays into those decisions a lot more than people think. I'm telling you right now, House, I'll put the twins on note. I'll put, uh, I'll, I, I guess I'll put, um, well, literally everybody on notice. Maybe not the twins on note. On notice would be the better word. I have tickets to probably three or four more games this year, and I know I'll I'll, I'll get there for some other games. If I wind up at a home game and both Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton are healthy and they're not in the lineup, I'm moving behind the dugout and I will rip and yell at Rocco until they remove me from the stadium and tell me I can't come back because that's that that's not acceptable. It's just it's not acceptable for especially for the home fans when you're paying the prices which are continually going up, which we're going to get to in house yeah. maintenance. Look. And again, I will admit, I do this all the time. I talk out of both sides of my mouth. At the end of the day, management needs to do what they think is best for winning games. Okay, so to a degree, you basically have to give the middle finger to the fans. 
I, I get that, okay? But when you play so many games in baseball and you're on the road half the time, those might be the days to use a day off with the caveat of don't take a healthy Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton and sit them on the same day. And you can come back at me and say, well, Correa must have been sick and then he tested positive during the game. That's why he didn't play. Okay, that explains one of them. Buxton DH the day before. He can play the next day. He can play. Now, granted, he'll play four innings and get hurt. I get that. But at least put him out there to start the game. I always think about Kobe Bryant, Ross. He used to always say, I I did everything that I could to play every single night because people were paying to watch me play. There's kids everywhere that they're coming to the game with their parents to watch me play. I'm going to do everything I can to be out there. And I, I, I respected that so much about him. Yeah. I'm not paying to watch Jake cave play. And to a certain amount of money, I would pay to not see Jake cave play. I'll just also throw that out there. (laughs) Okay. Some positives. I mean, there's, there's more positives than negatives. It's just that everything compounded yesterday. And yesterday was the day when I say yesterday, I'm talking Memorial day. That was the game where immediately you look at the lineup and you're offended. You go they're They're absolutely punting on winning today. If they win today, great. Like, they're not actively going to try and lose when they play, but they're not giving themselves the best chance to win today. But there are a lot of positives. Uh, we, we've we've talked about for years that Luis Arise could win a batting title. Mm-hmm. Uh, newsflash, that year could be this year that Luis Arise wins the batting title. Is he going to hit for power? No, he's not. But is he going to get on base and come up with great at-bats and timely hits? Yes. Absolutely, he's going to do that. Gilberto Celestino, who had to play probably too early last year. The bright side, sometimes when guys have to play too early, they mature a lot quicker. He's turned into a pretty good utility player. I don't think, uh, I still think Nick Gordon's fine. I think people love to rip on Nick Gordon. Uh, To me, Nick Gordon would be better if you had a longer bench and you didn't have to play him as often as they do. That goes back to Rocco wanting to have 19 pitchers on the roster. You know, if you had another bench player, you're probably not ripping Nick Gordon as much as people do. I think it's good to have a player, excuse me, if, when you have a player like him that can play so many different positions. Uh, Joe Ryan, look, the, the guy, I was a little leery of when they got him. Not that they not that they shouldn't have traded for him. I, I agree with that. I just didn't know how good of a pitcher they were getting for multiple reasons because yeah. the, Rays are, the Rays are very smart. I mean, look at them. They know what they're doing with prospects. So would they really give up a great pitcher for two months of Nelson Cruz? Well, when you if you're the Rays and you finally put the blinders on and you're trying to win a World Series, yeah, I can see why you would give up a really good player for two months of Nelson Cruz, knowing that you're not going to re-sign him. So I think Falveen has done a really good job there with a lot of the trades that they have done. Urshela and Sanchez, oh. it, it, it's 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 been good. I mean, solely just for getting rid of Josh Donaldson, who I I think it's pretty easy to realize he there were probably some issues in the locker room. And there's there's been issues now with the New York Yankees already and the Tim Anderson situation. So there's a there's a lot of good stuff happening here. I don't want to be super, super negative. I just it would be nice to go into June, July with this really nice lead thinking about, okay, how can we add to this team? And set ourselves up really well for a playoff run to actually win a playoff game for the first time since Ross was in high school over oh eighteen years ago. They've lost eighteen playoff games in a row. 
Instead, you're going to probably more than likely have to scrap and claw all summer long because, again, this is just a Twins philosophy. It has been forever. For some reason, games in April and May just don't matter, and it drives me crazy. Just drives me up the wall. Maybe that'll change here in the next few days because the calendar turns to June. Well, the opponents are getting tougher, too. And that's the thing moving forward when the MLB schedule where you don't play as many of those division games, you're playing everybody in the future here. That will be interesting because the Twins seem to kind of coast in some of these games against the Royals and the Tigers and the White Sox. And that you can't do that anymore. You can't rely on, you know, winning all of those games. You'll play the best opponents a lot more frequently. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that impacts their long-term philosophy a bit too. A lot of delicious Twins talk right there and still some more delicious football talk and a little house maintenance Coming up with Daniel House in just moments. Okay, Daniel House, we're less than 100 days away until the Gophers take on New Mexico State. 8 p.m. Huntington Bank Stadium. You'll need to remind me of the day. I think it's September 2nd or 3rd. Remind me. What is it? First? Oh, there there we go. Glad I have you. Less than 100 days away from what Saturday Blitz has dubbed the fourth best college coaching rivalry in college football, Jerry Kill and PJ Fleck. I don't believe that for one second. There's been some, there's been some tasty stuff said back and forth, mainly from Jerry Kill, but it's really not a rivalry when this will probably be the only time they ever coach unless they meet again or coach against each other, unless they meet again in some bowl game. But I mean, also. I firmly believe the Gophers more than likely will win comfortably, even though they have traditionally not been at their best in the non-conference. But I do believe, I do believe there's a little added incentive for the Gophers to be ready and play well, because I, I do think the ones that are social media savvy and trust me, they pay attention. They're going to realize what Jerry Kill has said about PJ Fleck, and they're going to want to look good for their coach. PJ won't say it, but he's going to want to look good. I don't believe there'll be any funny business. I don't think the Gophers are going to run up the score. I think no. both coaches will actually play it down a little bit, especially before and after the game. However, I will remind everybody, if PJ wants to do this right and basically win the PR battle before the game even starts from the standpoint of looking good to everybody, but also telling Jerry Kill to shut his trap, you run out the locker room with the Jerry Soda flag two minutes before the game, and I, I guarantee you people will love it, and Jerry Kill will have nothing to say about it. That's my thoughts. What what can you tell me about Gopher football post-spring game? I'm excited about the roster. I left spring ball believing it was probably the fastest, deepest, and most versatile roster that they've put together, especially on defense. You look at what they can do schematically having three cornerbacks like Justin Wally, Beanie Bishop and Ryan Staff. Bishop flashed quite a bit during the spring game and made a lot of plays even around the box as a, as a run defender. He's got versatility, he can play inside and out, he's fast. Maybe could use him in the return game if needed. So he was a big addition. Ryan Staff, I've talked a lot about the athletic traits that he has, the play speed to carry receivers deep and then you know, he's just a really, really high testing athlete. The shuttle times, you see that when he's able to, you know, transition to from backpedaling to opening his hips and mirroring wide receivers out of the break to make plays on the ball. 
this will be a more opportunistic defense because those players all seem to be able to round the football. I think that's something that the Gophers and, and Joe Rossi want to do this season is create more takeaways, generate short fields for the offense. Last year, I mean, the, the defense was phenomenal, but the next step I feel like is being able to convert with some, some takeaways, create more negative plays. And that's the formula for success. I've spent a lot of time looking at trends this off season. And if you have a tackle for loss, uh, just one on any drive, the scoring rate for that particular drive goes down substantially. So if you can create negative play at any point on a drive, that's, that's a huge deal. So I'm excited about the defense and not only that, but you look at the safeties too. Jordan Howden, Tyler Newbin, and Michael Dixon, a wild card player who could play a real creative role in this game. He got on the field a bit in passing down situations, and his development was stunted a little bit because he was injured right before the season last year. So watch Michael Dixon, see the role he plays and how Minnesota takes advantage of the, the speed and versatility and depth that they have at each level of the defense. This is an exciting group. House, I forgot to fact check this, but I do believe I saw a note over the weekend with a recent recruit to the Gopher football team that PJ Flex recruiting class for next year is into the top 20. Is it is it fair to say at this point in the PJ Flex era, he's always going to recruit for culture. You're going to need to fit his culture. But within yeah. that prism of fitting his culture, are we to the point now where within that culture, he's also being able to go out and get the best athletes in that culture. Like maybe there was a time when he got here, certain players would be in the culture, but they were still choosing other programs. Are we now getting to the point where it's easier for him to bring in the best athletes he possibly can at the university of Minnesota since he has been here? I'm glad you brought that up because I just did a roster building series that I'm going through each position group and looking at average ratings, athletic testing, all of those traits that, correlate with success and you look at the the past kill clays era at the defensive back spot how fleck has elevated the average rating there and then it really done a nice job of player development adding more speed into that secondary gives you a lot of flexibility to really tailor the scheme to the strengths of your players but it really starts up front ross on the defensive line is the big area that i noticed i mean you look at pj he's taken 10 more defensive lineman than Kill Clays did during that same time frame of like a six-year period there of six classes. And the average rating within that group has gone up substantially. Not only that, but you look at the athletic testing of like a Boye Mafe, a Sezi Atome, well, both picked in the NFL draft. Carter Coughlin, I know a player that Kill recruited, but uh, Fleck developed and worked with for a very long time. All of those players are in the, in the National Football League now. So you go back and look at the trends of, you know, peer edge rushers drafted during the the Kill Clays era. There weren't any. I mean, it was like Rashid Hageman, who Tim Brewster had previously, and then Kill inherited him. The, the defensive line never really was the, the foundational piece of that team. They didn't have that dynamic pass rush and then the ability to stop the run. That was the key last year, Ross, when you watch the Gophers defenses being able to limit success on first and second down, get teams behind the sticks, and then be able to mix the the quarterback's picture up with a lot of creative coverage disguises and things. So that's been the main tendency. I see, yes, the recruiting trends. You know, sometimes people look at it and go, I see a lot of this, where they go, well, the, you know, the recruiting rate, rankings are not 
continuing to go up. They're not producing a top 25 class, but people also have to look at the modern landscape of football now where the transfer portal plays into this, where you're not just doing the four-year recruiting, you're pairing that up with the transfer portal. So being able to find that balance of being a four-year program, which PJ and the staff are going to be no matter what, that's the philosophy, but they will fill in the gaps with transfers and fans will really notice that this season with staff and Bishop. Both of them are very talented and will make a huge impact. And Chuck Filiaga, the guard on offense, uh, stood out in spring ball. I, I was really impressed with him and I know the staff is excited about him as well. Not many people I know can go and do go as deep into the NFL draft in the NFL offseason as you do. So whether it be Vikings related or just NFL related, give me one thought as you've done more post-mortem on the NFL draft in the NFL offseason. I'm very excited about what the Kansas City Chiefs did with their draft. And I know Oh, like, we know they needed a talent infusion. They, they needed a talent infusion. The, the rich get richer in the league. And I go and look, okay, which teams picked players that I was really excited about and liked during the pre-draft process? Trent McDuffie was a little bit more of an outlier for me with the shorter arms and looking at the tendencies of players with that type of profile. Not many have been successful. However, you look at the Chiefs desperately needed to continue improving their secondary. So Let's see what he does in the scheme. But then you look at what they did after that. George Karloftis, one of the more disruptive players in the draft who I really, really liked and feel like there's some untapped potential there. And now seeing him in uh, Spag's scheme is going to look, he's, he's going to play really well. Sky Moore, another receiver who kind of flew under the radar. Such Western a great name. I, I, I would love, I'm excited to see what he can do in the scheme. And then they get Justin Ross as an undrafted free agent as well. Is he able to maintain health and, you know, overcome that serious injury that he dealt with at Clemson. But then, you know, not only that, Leo Chanel, who, you know, is one of my guys in this draft as well. How does he fit into this scheme? Just one of the best players in terms of like, size being able to move like he does and he was so disruptive you know on those rap blitzes that wisconsin used all the time and downhill's a run defender and just all the traits that you're looking for so you know not only that but like jalen watson a cornerback who's very physical uh, gives you some man cover skills a developmental player joshua williams fayetteville state who uh, participated in the senior bowl and has a lot of also unique athletic traits as a cornerback you look three really interesting cornerbacks to watch develop and then getting Karloftis and Chanel, who are two players that were outstanding in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, the Chiefs did a great job. I also thought the Ravens helped their team significantly. You just see the first four picks, for example, Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum, David Ajaba, who they can invest in the future as a pass rusher, would have been a high pick before the injury and uh, Travis Jones. Uh, another defensive tackle who moves really well for a player with his size, Daniel Falele, uh, taking a chance on him. They were a team that could take a chance on Daniel Falele just because, you know, some teams don't have him on his board because uh, of the athletic testing and, you know, the fit into the scheme where they have a ton. I think it was like six picks in like the, the fourth round or something like that. They had a ton of opportunity to throw some darts. So they're, they're, Fit and filet in, put him on that Orlando Brown developmental track and watch him go. 
uh, those two teams, along with the Seahawks as well. I thought they did some really good things. Normally we're saying, gosh, what a weird draft by the Seahawks, but this is probably the best draft overall right now on paper that, that John Schneider has put together. Former St. Thomas alum, John Schneider. St. Thomas, pretty big in the NFL right now, uh, is uh, which which NFL coach was coaching at St. Thomas like seven or eight years ago? Brandon Staley. That's what, okay. Yep, Chargers guy. Staff. Yeah, yeah, crazy yep. when you think about that. So now here's the cool part: is in in Seattle, Boye gets drafted out there, and they have Trent Kirchner. He's the VP of player personnel. He's from Fulda, Minnesota, St. John's alum, and John Schneider, the GM of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, went to St. Thomas. So there's like a Johnny, a Tommy, and a Gopher all in the Seahawks organization right now. And D3 has been very well represented recently, especially here in the state of Minnesota. I believe Ben Barch is still a member of the Jaguars, correct? Yes. Yes. Pivotal role this season, probably. Do this for me. I do a little homework on our guy, Asezi Atomowu, because we'll talk about him uh, in the future because former Gopher, current Viking. Next time we talk, uh, let's let's talk about him just a little bit. But right now, Daniel House, uh, we're going to close with a little house maintenance. House maintenance. The sound effect, even. Yeah, I just added that on the fly. Okay, so one thing I've been complaining about, and the Twins will be the easy one to pick on here, Daniel, but it's 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 everybody. But the Twins are just the easiest because it's recency bias. I've been to a few Twins games this year, and and if anybody has noticed this at the other stadiums, let me know. I only went to one wild game. I'm not sure I purchased anything this year. And uh, I know the Saints are doing this now, too. So maybe everybody's doing it. Uh, but the main thing I'm getting at now is uh, the poll ads and the Twins no longer covering your tax when you go to the game. So if it says a beer is eleven fifty or twelve fifty, whatever it is, two years ago, last year, that was what the price was. It was twelve fifty. Well, now it's twelve fifty plus tax. So things have gotten even more expensive. Sunday, I bought two sliders and fries, $15 and 50 American dollars and cents. Of course, that's tax, so it becomes over $17. Then they want you to tip the person. That's up to you. I did, but it was a nominal amount, and in a roundabout way, I actually tipped less because they're now taking more out of my pocket. So I think the people who should get the tip are actually affected more by it because I got to pay all the tax. And it's not just that. It's It's... It's that the price of everything is up everywhere, and I, I get it. Everybody's always looking at their bottom line, but we seemingly talk about this all the time, not on this pod, but just in general. Fans always talk about it. To go to a game costs more, and it just it's the average family of four that's living on two modest to average incomes. There's a reason why they go to one ball game a year. There's a reason why they maybe go to one football game a year. And the Twins, to their credit, they have this year they've had a lot of ticket packages to get people in the door. They also have like an all-you-can-eat thing where you get ballpark favorites. And then they have the they have a one concession stand where prices are reduced. But in all honesty, they're reduced. But you're still getting it's like five dollars for a can of beer. The pop still costs too much. You're getting nachos that are basically just chips with cheese thrown on top of them. They're still making their money. Okay, so my house maintenance here is, Daniel, what can we do to fix the price of any sporting event just 
to get it back in the hands of the fans. Right now, I feel like when you go to a game, for the most part, you have you have very well-to-do people because they have the money and the means necessary to go to these games over and over again. And the common fan, I, I just don't think many people can afford it. And I think that that's a big issue. And to me, it's, it's, it's really sad, especially for the sport of baseball that has kind of fallen on hard times recently. It's, it's challenging because you're dealing with an environment where costs are higher. Everything is priced, you know, especially the concession stuff. They're short on supplies and you, know, you go to the grocery store and everything's priced higher right now. So that's got to create some challenges for teams as they kind of structure how they do things. I know I talk with people across sports saying that it's very challenging right now to project how people are going to come out of the pandemic and their their interest in going to games because they've had the opportunity to to be at home and watch the games there and NFL wise uh, you know enjoy NFL red zone at the college level just be able to sit and watch games all day long and are people going to drop the money where you you talked about the concessions and and the tickets and that aspect of it but like the parking that's a huge aspect of it now where you know you're paying a major amount to park and then deal with the headache of, you know, waiting after the game to get out, all those things, it factors into to the fan experience. So what I would say is finding a way to come up with packages that get younger fans into the stadium, whether that's like college grad uh, discounts or, you know, you bring in a family to the game. I know a lot of teams do that. I actually like what the Gophers do with their like Gopher Pass thing where you can get like all the games for 199 and then you pick your seat the week of the game. And then uh, if there's no tickets available, then you get the standing room option, which is honestly not that bad when you, there's not a bad seat at that stadium. So yes. And house, I want to hop in very quickly props to the Minnesota twins who have that too. It's all basically standing room, but let's be honest, people go and find seats because there are seats available, but I mean, target field's great for just standing and watching the game. Great sight lines. So again, in a pod where I've been very hard on the twins, I want to give them props on that. So my apologies for cutting you off, but I know I've been very hard on the twins this pod. So any chance I can I can applaud them for something, I will. And I think the twins pass is an awesome idea. I love what the Falcons have done too with their concessions, that the the cheaper options where they, they got the affordable concession and it's just the basic options where you know you can get if you want to go to a different spot, you can get all the the big time fancy uh, uh, options but you'll pay more for that versus the you know affordable hot dog burger item and fries you know that type of thing versus the the options that teams have added to their uh, menus where it's gotten to the point where it's so expansive and so creative where you know these teams gotta have huge you know concession budgets because they have to compensate for the the pricing right now to get to get the products to make it. So I don't know, Ross, it's, it's a tough environment because teams are really grappling with what does the, the consumer and the fan look like coming out of the pandemic? Like NFL teams didn't really know last year because it still was kind of a unique environment. Now moving into this season, does it change? What does the ticket market look like? Are people coming to the games or are they, using that money to build a monster man cave and and produce and make their own food. My final thought on this, and we both have to run because we have real jobs and things we need to get to years ago at the Metronome, the uh, 
Gophers did a really nice job, and I think they even have done it a few times at TCF Bank, now Huntington Bank Stadium. They would bring in high school football teams for free. They wouldn't even charge. They wouldn't even charge them. They would just bring them in. They would have the seats. So you're yep. still you're still getting some money off of that because they're getting concessions. But at least you're getting them in the door. I don't know, especially this year when you look at these Twins games and there's legitimately 5,000 people in the stadium they can cram 40,000 into, why are you not bringing 12-year-old baseball teams and giving them free tickets just to get them in the park? I I just think that's a no-brainer for pretty much the Timberwolves who oftentimes have seats available. The Twins should be doing that and even go for football when that happens. I know for some of the other teams in town that that's not an issue, but why we're not giving away free tickets to local clubs and teams and and high schools and junior highs is beyond me. Daniel, that's all I have for you. Thank you for being so gracious with your time as always. What is on Gophers Guru right now that people need to know about? Just launched a recruiting fit series so you can read about some of the 2023 targets that uh, could be a potential fits for the Gophers. How do they? Uh, how are they going to incorporate into the scheme? Check that out there. And then, like I said, that roster building series that looks at some of the traits and improvements and areas that Fleck and the staff have targeted in recent years. And then camp season starting now, being able to go. Yeah, check baby. Out some of that stuff. I'm ready to go. Uh, let's let's get ready for football. It's not that far away now. That is Daniel House at Daniel House NFL on that Twitter machine. Get signed up at gophersguru.com. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks. That will do it for edition number 113. Do, 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 do. 113 of Minnesota Sports Chat. Thanks to Daniel House for joining. Thanks to you for listening, and thank you in advance for rating and reviewing and telling your friends and family all about Minnesota Sports Chat. I'm Ross Brendel. We will talk again real soon.